but she pushes through and comes. Oh, that made me cry. Uh, but it takes an effort when your your body is weak and uh, when you can't do what you want to do. But she's a part of our body. She's a strength to Pastor Ken. She stands behind him when he goes and he spends hours at the church. She encourages him. And so we want to honor her today. Thank you for all you do, Stephanie. And that's Sister Lucia. She's a mama to all of us, even though we're older than her. But she worries about us. She texts us if, if we come on her mind. If you're not here, she's concerned. Is something wrong? She looks out for the whole body. She does so many things without fanfare or recognition. So we want to honor her today. And then Danielle. She's as beautiful inside as she is out. She has such a servant's heart. She came and decorated for a shower when she was sick. She wasn't able to come to the shower, but she came and decorated because she had committed to do that. And anything we ask her to do, she steps in and does it. She's going to make a wonderful pastor's wife and such a blessing to the church. We love you, Danielle. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Sister Virginia. Uh, right now we're going to dismiss the children uh, that are sixth grade and under. If you'd like to go to Children's Church, Sister Karen is ready for you. And Sister Twyla is her helper. Wow, look at all those kids you guys got this morning. That's wonderful. <laughs> Amen. And ask our ushers to get ready now to receive our morning tithe and offering. And as they're doing that, just by way of reminder, tonight there is no ministry class, so be sure that you uh, do something for your mom if she's still with you today and, and uh, or meet with your family and bless them. <coughs> and then on Wednesday night, we'll be back here at 6 o'clock. And we just are excited about what God is doing in each and every one of us. Amen. So right now, open your hearts up and get ready to receive from Pastor Zach. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day. Uh, so before I get started, I want my mom to come up and give a little update on what Pops is doing down in Mexico. If you didn't know, my dad is on a, a three-week stint down in Mexico. So we're going to be doing a couple updates as he's, uh, as he's gone out there doing some ministry. So what's he doing? <laughs> we, we, are. Tell? we didn't we even we get the memo. We did not tell. mean to, but it's okay. <laughs> um, 
so he has sent me so many pictures of ministering. Right now he is in Puerto Vallarta, and he is at Lee Short's ministry. So Lee Short, when I went years ago, um, Lee Short just had a big slab, a kitchen, and a couple of offices maybe. I don't remember even seeing anything other than just they were had an over, you know, they, they had, it was a building without walls. And when we went, when I went with him, they were feeding the children at the time, and that's really his heart is is the children. Um, now they have a compound. Compound. He sent me pictures. I didn't even recognize it. It was beautiful. Um, so I, in my heart, what I'm thinking, I mean, you know the the normal testimony that I give, which is not something I give lightly. There are minist- there's ministry going on. I mean, he's he gives his all. He will talk to the least of these and to the greatest on this trip. You know, he loves them all, and I see that in the pictures, and I've been out with him as well. So we know he's doing God's work, and I know he's touching people's lives. Um, And so my encouragement is just do the little things, because just like Lee Short, he just started by grabbing those kids from the dump and feeding them and loving them. And now, years later, because he was doing the little things and just being faithful to that. God's promoting his ministry, and now he's ministering to pastors in the area that are ministering to these families and these kids. So if I can give you anything today is just do what's on your heart to do, whether anybody sees it or not. Because in our faithfulness, and that's my prayer to him, Lord, I want to I be promoted in your kingdom, not to be seen, but because I want you to be proud of me and, and say, I can use her because I've seen her doing this. Because she's been doing this, I can trust her in this. And I promise you, it's the most exciting life that I could ever imagine living. So that's my encouragement. But they are doing great things. I've got pictures I could show you. They're on Facebook, some of them. Um, keep them in your prayers because there's. Um, he's just he's given it all. So he needs prayer for strength. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Thank you. Thanks, mom. So it's really encouraging to see that. Uh, Dad sent me probably like 40 different pictures on Facebook, so I'll, uh, I'll get those uploaded to the screen for next, uh, next week so that we can have some, uh, some visual representation of what's going on down there. You get to see some of the compound and uh, some of the people that are being ministered into and stuff like that. So it's really encouraging, really great. And so today, it is, of course, Mother's Day. So this is a, uh, a Mother's Day message um, Maybe, I, I don't know why, but I've just been doing a little bit of an unconventional uh, presentation for different stuff that are more holiday-specific, so we're going to go along the same lines of doing that as well today. Um, but I want to first highlight, before we even go to any scripture uh, that I've, I've put on there, I'm going to highlight Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30 and 31. It says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Very interestingly, the city gate is the place where judgment occurs. In those old, in those, uh, in, in the ancient uh, Eastern methodology, the way that they would have different processes of, of bringing someone, like if a child does not obey their parents, they would actually bring them to the city gate to be judged by the elders and those who are in the community to see what needed to happen. And so whenever it says that let her works bring her praise at the city gate, that means that people who are not just in her household 
or even in her neighborhood, but those who are in the community be able to give her praise for the things that she's been able to do and uh, the work that she's done. So I will leave that there. I could talk a lot more about that, but we will let that lie for a minute. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 this morning. So if you could turn to Acts chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, if not, then peel your eyes to the screens up there, and it's going to have the scripture for you. Uh, we're going to be at Acts chapter 5, verses 12. We're going to go through 41. So we're going to read a couple verses. Do you guys like the Bible today? You guys like the Bible every day? Okay, good. More than just a Sunday morning reader, then, I, I imagine. That's good. So it says this. Uh, it says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. I'm going to put a time out right here real quick. I didn't want to have to go through all this beforehand, but the first 11 verses, uh, it goes through the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you know anything about them, they lied about what they were contributing so that they could be uh, recognized visually by people around uh, for something that they had not quite given. And uh, they end up both passing away in the middle of their lie in, uh, in the courts. And so this, we're picking up right after that story, so a very crazy thing people are aware of of the death of people who had lied specifically in the middle of the sanctuary and so it says the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in solomon's uh, colonnade no one else dared to join them even though they were highly regarded by the people nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the lord and were added to their number everybody said amen to that as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Everybody say all of them. Yeah, all of them were healed. That's pretty miraculous, right? And then we continue on after this. It says this, Then the high priests... And all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. That's very interesting, right? If someone's doing something they should not be doing, it should not incite a, a riot <laughs> for any of those things. The people should be very aware that they're doing something improper, right, incorrect. So they were terrified. So the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. 
Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Speaking of Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Now, just a little context for you, Gamaliel, the reason why this name is very important is because he was also the one who trained Paul. So he was Paul's teacher. So you can imagine, as influential and as intellectual as Paul was, that he learned from this man. And so this man, Gamaliel, was very well respected among everyone. The scripture brings that into context, says that everyone admired this man and respected him for his voice. And so he says this in verse 35. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared, not to be confused with Judas and Iscariot, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, as it should have. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. We miss this so often in this passage. They were flogged for speaking the truth, and they were told to stop speaking the truth and let go to be able to go and continue to do whatever it is they wanted to. They were hoping, the Sanhedrin was hoping, that the flogging and the scolding would have prevented them from actually continuing to do what they were called to do by Jesus. However, they counted it joy. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted Worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It didn't start this story with these guys standing in front of the Sanhedrin. The story actually started with them being compassionate towards those who were wounded, hurting, and broken. 
and then ministering to them the same way that Jesus taught them how to minister. Pray for the sick. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so in that process, it started to ruffle the feathers of those who felt like they had all the answers. Which tends to be something that happens consistently whenever you are relying not on your own desires, your own flesh, your own intellect. It's very important that we study to show ourselves approved, but we cannot rely solely on our mind in order for things to be done. Otherwise, that's, that's not faith at all. It's easy not to have faith in those instances because you have only faith in yourself. But to have faith in something other than you and something that you would count greater than you, then you would have to also obey the voice that says that you're supposed to go and do these things. And we recognize his voice first and foremost by the salvation, by the call to salvation that we have. Because you cannot come to, to, to God, you cannot come to full salvation unless you're drawn by the Holy Spirit. You don't do it by your own works, it's not by your own deeds, it's not by, the, by your own actions or anything else that you can do. It's purely by the, the free gift of salvation that, that Christ Jesus offers to us. And the Holy Spirit draws us unto him, and from that point, then we can consistently figure out what his voice sounds like more and more as we read through the word. But it was first the call that he has as he pricked us and convicted us of the sin that we have, realizing that we cannot offer ourselves salvation. And so when that happens, the Holy Spirit then leads us and guides us. And as we read his word, he recalls those things to memory so that when we're around other people, we can apply those principles that we've learned and the things that we've gleaned from him in the right times. It's called wisdom. Wisdom is being able to do with the knowledge that you have and even, even drawing upon further voice than your own. So in order to have faith, in the wisdom that the Lord offers us, we have to know his voice. And so these people were following after the things that, God, that Jesus told them to do from the very, very beginning. They didn't have to have an extra revelation to go and pray for the sick. They had been doing that from the time that they were hanging out with Jesus. Jesus gave them that, that extra encouragement as well right before he ascended to go do all the things that I've commanded you and taught you and make disciples. That means to make people who also do the same thing that I just taught you. And so in the middle of them walking out the things that the Holy Spirit, that, that Jesus told them to, following the voice of the Holy Spirit, they were able to minister to those, and it ruffled feathers of other people. And in the middle of that, that's when they started to find themselves in the predicament of being pulled into the jail cell. It also didn't stop at that point. Crazy enough, an angel actually let them out of the jail cell and then told them to go into the temple courts and continue to do the same thing. You would think that after that moment happened, that they would be free to just hang, hang out in the temple courts and nothing else would happen. However, those same people who put them in jail the first time came back and put them back into a place of accusation. You would say, man, God, I thought you brought me out of here so I can just continue to do the great things that you've called me to. Woohoo! However, that put them in a position to be able to minister to other people that they would have not have normally been able to if they had not been put in front of the Sanhedrin in that point in time. And so when that happened, they then were, were presented with a precarious opportunity to continue to preach the gospel. And a, a wise man in the midst of those people who you would never know if when you're in the face of accusation, if there's going to be someone who listens to wisdom in the room. But you trust that you're in the place that you need to be because that's where the Lord had designed you to go to. And so they followed after the voice of the Lord. They heard the, the, the direction of the angel, and so they proceeded forward. 
and standing in the midst of accusation, they were dismissed from the room. They weren't even in the middle of the room hearing what they were dialoguing about. However, this man Gamaliel was very wise in giving them instruction and, and imploring to them, saying, hey, look, there's been many different people who have claimed to do many different things, people who have had messianic characters, people who have, who have looked like they could be the savior in front of others. If you know anything about the 400 years of, of silence we have in the, in the biblical narrative from the last book in the Old Testament to the first book in the New Testament, there's about 400 years where there's nothing written for us to have in the canonized Bible. But if you look into, into church history, you look further into into other different writings it shows that there were a lot of people who even rose up that looked like they could be a messianic figure they looked like they were going to actually come and 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 they tried to to gather a bunch of people together and then storm after and try to retake jerusalem for themselves where they weren't under the bondage or direction of the roman empire and so this happened consistently and so gamaliel he's he's like hey look we've seen this time and time again of different people who have risen up claimed to be someone who they really weren't and sooner or later their words were squelched either by their death or by the scattering of their people and then nothing came of that and so he's like look after these these instances and these things that we've seen in the past why don't we give this a shot and see if it really is not of the lord the same thing's going to happen because god's not going to stand for someone to walk other people into deception for that that amount of time however if this is from the lord then you are in opposition to god and that's not a position that you want to be in. So let's let these guys be and just see what happens from here on out. You're like, what a Mother's Day message, Zach. This is, this is not what I expected on this Sunday. But I want to bring up a, uh, uh, a specific figure in church history that I think will be a good representation about why this message is really important for us to, to think about today. This woman's name was uh, Susanna Wesley. Anybody ever heard of John and Charles Wesley? The Wesley brothers? So this is their mom, Susanna Wesley. Not too many people know about her unless you have been within uh, Methodism or if you've done some research on specific church history or maybe even done some research on John and Charles Wesley. But she was very impactful. She's actually coined as the mother of Methodism, mother of the Methodist movement. It's not because she had some kind of uh, pastoral role. Um, it's not because she was, was off riding the same way that, that John Wesley was taking off on his, on his horse, going from one place to another, to another, to another, literally horses dying underneath him because he would ride them so far and so hard so that he can get from one place to another to preach the gospel and to minister to others. It's not, it's not because she was just hanging out with Charles and writing a bunch of songs. Charles Wesley was known for the many, many, many songs that he wrote within the movement. Um, but it's because of what she did to instill into those two individuals that created the Methodist movement that is very valuable and important. So I'm going to read a little bit about her, about her life, and then we'll go from there. Susanna Wesley was a daughter of Dr. Samuel Annesley and Mary White. And she was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. Although she never preached a sermon or published a book founded uh, or founded a church, she is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because of her two sons, John and Charles Wesley. As children consciously or unconsciously will, they applied the example and the teachings and circumstances of their home life. So a little bit about Susanna. She experienced many hardships throughout her life. Uh, her husband, Sam, actually left her and the children for over a year because of a minor dispute. To her absent husband, 
Susanna wrote this. I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, in your long absence, I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother, I feel I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observe the following method, that I take such proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jack. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. And the list goes on. She was actually, they, they gave birth to 19 children. Happy Mother's Day. She gave birth to 19 children, and uh, nine of them survived. The majority of them uh, passed away in their infancy. And uh, by the time that she passed away, there were only eight of them living. She says this, too. She says, Samuel Wesley spent time, that's her husband was Samuel. Samuel Wesley spent time in jail twice due to his poor financial abilities. And the lack of money was a continual struggle for Susanna. Their house was burned down twice. During one of the fires, her son John Wesley nearly died and had to be rescued from the second story window. She was the primary source of her children's education. Interestingly enough, she also spoke to John whenever that, uh, that fire happened and said, because you were saved, I believe that there's a call in your life that the Lord did not want you to pass away. And so she was the first person to really speak into his life and give him confidence that he was going to be something other than what that he may have imagined to be in the first place. So she spoke life into him and said, you will do great things, and the Lord has called you to be someone of importance in his kingdom. After the second fire, Susanna was forced to place her children into two different homes, or into different homes for nearly two years while, while their, their home was rebuilt. And during this time, the Wesley children lived under the rules of homes they lived in. Susanna was mortified that her children began to use improper speech and play more than study. Under, this is what she said, under no circumstances were the children permitted to have any lessons until they reached their fifth year. But the day after their fifth birthday, their formal education began. They attended classes for six hours, and on the very first day, they were supposed to learn the whole alphabet. All her children were, ex uh, except for two, managed this feat, and these seemed to Susanna to be very backward. The children got a good education, daughters included, which was very, very wild because in those days, the, uh, the, the daughters and, the, and the, the girls were not permitted to really go through any kind of formalized education. And so by the time that they got out of the house, they were extremely educated compared to any of the other women who were around. Uh, Susanna's father also instilled this into her life and believed that education was important not just for men, but also for women. And so she was, uh, was trained and equipped to not only read, comprehend, and write, but also to be able to educate now after she was educated in this fashion. And so they all learned Latin and Greek and were tutored in the classical studies that were traditional in England at that time. During a time when her husband was in London defending a friend against charges of heresy, he has appointed a locum to bring the message. So he appointed a person to bring the message. Um, and this man's sermons, because Susanna's husband was the minister at the time, so 
he appointed somebody to deliver the messages, and their church began to dwindle because he was doing such a poor job. Susanna would not stand for this, so what she wanted to do, and what she ended up doing, is she ended up having Bible studies with her kids on Sunday afternoons and evening times. And what she would do is, because her father was a minister and her husband was a minister, she would take their sermons and she would read them to her children. And she would explain in the middle of those sermon readings what certain things meant if they had questions. It got so popular that people wanted to come and hang out and to listen and to be a part of those sermons too. So much so that they grew to about two to 300 people while the morning church was way opposite. (laughs) They had dwindled down so much. So she was an effective communicator, being able to rightly communicate the gospel, not just to children, but then also to the rest of the people who are in their community and congregation. Wesley practiced daily devotions throughout her life. And in her reply to her son Charles' letter, she addressed her experience to the depravity of her human nature and the grace of God. The letter also shows that she has been fully awakened to the spiritual enjoyments for many years, with which her sons were only recently made acquainted. Her husband Samuel spent his whole life and all of the family's finances on his exegetical work of the book of Job. However, his his work was not remembered and had little impact on his family other than a hardship. In contrast, Susanna wrote several pieces that would be fundamental in education for their children. In addition to letters, Susanna Wesley wrote meditations and scriptural commentaries for her own use. She wrote extended commentaries on the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. Many of these were lost in the fire that they had, but many survived. The most acceptable means of her writings is Charles Wallace's excellent and important Susanna Wesley, The Complete Writings. Susanna was buried at Bunhill Fields in London. And to that, I'm going to read again that passage in Psalm. Sorry, Proverbs. Proverbs 31, 30 through 31. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. We could learn a lot from Susanna Wesley's intentionality. It may not have been Susanna's own words specifically, or her own feet or her own hands, that created what is what is known as the holiness movement. However, it was her impact on her sons who were the feet, the hands, and the mouthpiece. That without her encouragement and without her intentionality within the home to have them study as their children, to show them a standard of life that they should be living in, that drew them to the place of wanting to be intentional whenever they moved away. Because you see, when John and Charles Wesley were, were away at, at Oxford, they started this, this club called the Holiness Club. And they had, uh, they had many, many different guys who were within this holiness club, and they would practice these methods of holiness. It's where Methodism comes from, is they were practicing methods. And these methods of holiness were actually derived from much of what their mother taught them when they were in the house. To study the word, to pray, to refrain from things that would lead them into temptation and destruction, 
many of the things that they would they would practice with these group of, of, of men and individuals at their university were things that were instilled in them as children and drove them to pursue after something that was greater than themselves. She was very encouraged to see and to hear and to read all the things that, that they had accomplished. And when John went, uh, went over into, uh, into America to do some missions work and fell ill and, and walked into some, uh, some controversy over there as well, he, he was discouraged and ended up coming back. And he could remember some of the words that his mother had written. And as he listened to the Moravian people who were singing in the midst of a storm on a, on a ship, as they thought they were all going to die, the Moravians were singing out, praises unto God and, and glorifying God for all the good news and the good works that he had done. It caused him to remember something that was specific about his childhood. You can see the reflection of Susanna Wesley's imprint inside of those boys in every step that they made. Their dad had a, had a great, great desire for the word so much so where he spent lots of his time writing an exegetical piece on the book of Job. So they were not remiss without a father who also loved God. And pursued after after the the voice of the Holy Spirit. However, their mother was the one who impacted them at a greater capacity. And so, it's one thing to be able to have charm. It's one thing to be able to have you know looks. It's another thing to be able to you know have specific accolades right now, or to have a specific like type of appearance. However, when someone can have the intentionality of looking after what God has called them to. Where you can impact people in your specific sphere. That means if you're a working mother, then your intentionality of people within the workplace, and when you come home, also to have that capacity to, to love your kids. As a father, you can also learn from the example of, of Sam Wesley, not being too con- concerned with the books and with other de- other things that you would leave your family behind. say I'm impacted by that as well as one who I love to be busy and love to go through and, and study and get my hands involved with all kinds of different things and uh, have one job after another doing all kinds of whatever it's important not to forget and to leave the family behind in the middle of all those things and so um, Susanna Wesley was, was, a, was a, a very strong willed individual who could stand and who could fill in the gap in those places but fathers and husbands let us not forget our responsibilities and duties to our wives and to our children in the middle of these things, that it's important for us not to just leave the home doings to the mother, but also to be active and, and valuable in the middle of that. Also, don't yoke yourself with someone who is not going to be that person to join into that union together so that it's a communal effort between you and your spouse to also train and equip your children. So mothers... Continue to be that voice, that mouthpiece for the voice of the Holy Spirit, speaking into your kids' lives, letting them know what it is that you feel like, you, like you're praying into for your child to be able to experience and grow into. You may be the first voice to encourage them. Don't let somebody else outside the home be the first one to encourage your child. As parents, we are responsible for, for our children and for the, the, the base level things that they learn and glean from because it is your voice that will echo through the, the chambers of their mind as they go to make decisions and go to do those things. Until they can recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit on their own, they will hear your voice often. I can tell you whenever I was growing up in high school, I heard my mom's voice a lot whenever I would go and contemplate certain things. I could hear certain phrases she would say often. 
Now, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to me. It meant that the Holy Spirit was using her voice to remind me of things that he was trying to teach me in that time, too. There were times that I remember things that my dad would say as well, too. And so it's, it's our voices that they're going to be able to learn from and glean from. We have to take responsibility. We cannot be lazy and lackadaisical, only seeking after what would, des- what would fulfill our own desires, because our own desires should be after our children and for our children to grow and to glean and to extend those tents. If you want to be able to make a greater impact, you need to look at legacy. You don't need to look at your own hand's work. And so we learn much from Susanna. We learn from what Christ did. There is a reason why I read Acts chapter 5 is because you see the willingness for the disciples to follow after the voice of of the Holy Spirit, to, to follow after the things that Jesus taught. To move after the, even in spite of, of accusation and opposition, even despite of, of them having been flogged, that they counted it a joy, that they were able to be counted worthy enough to suffer. Count, I'm going to say that again, counted worthy enough to suffer. We look at suffering sometimes, and we feel like it is a punishment, when in reality it's, it is a blessing to be able to suffer for the cause of Christ. And it's not because it's going to end in destruction. It's because we know the, the answer is redemption. And redemption doesn't always look wonderful at the very beginning. It doesn't always look wonderful in the middle. Sometimes it still doesn't look good about three quarters of the way through that story. But you can call something completely redeemed by the time that the story is ended. And so even though you may be in a series of life where maybe you're like, hey, I'm a parent, but I'm not experiencing a whole lot of, of this activity with my own children like a Susanna Wesley had and it's not looking too too hot for me right now praise god you know what you can do you can start now start today and move forward that doesn't mean that you got to call your kid up if they're a little bit older and say okay it's time for me to, to learn you some stuff but it means that you need to be intentional with actually praying to the lord and ask him what the next step is for you it means that you can you can love whoever it is right in front of you It may mean that you, that you don't have any natural children that you can start this with, but maybe you have some people who's, who can glean and learn from you in this time, in this place, in your context, in the, in the people that you are actually getting to deal with. Maybe it's someone in your workplace. Maybe it's someone that you get to interact with consistently. Maybe it's a niece or a nephew. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe there, there are many different ways and facets. It doesn't just have to be something biological. It could be something supernatural. And so who have you been entrusted to? Who has been entrusted to you? And how are you going to affect the next generation of people by being intentional with what the Lord is wanting to do in them and in their generation? We cannot just think about our own generation. That's whenever we end up with divided congregations because we're more concerned about ourselves and our preferences and our desires more than we are concerned about how to build and equip and to make disciples. If our true calling as Christians is to make disciples, then we cannot be so concerned with fluff around us that we lose sight of the true intention of what Jesus instilled the church to be. We make disciples who will be able to go into the world to preach the gospel and then also to make more disciples where they're at. Each and every one of you guys have a calling to something specific, and it should not look exactly like somebody else's across the room. It could look similar. You could, you could join together in different efforts. We should all be able to work cohesively 
in a way that would glorify God and show unity because we are the body of Christ and not the toe of Christ. And so Susanna had a great mentality in knowing that she was responsible first. I love that they said that in that in that summary of her life, that she was responsible first. In her own writings, I am responsible first for my children. How can I grow my children, teach them and train them, and give them tools to where whenever they are older, they can actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for themselves. They feel a drawing to, to actually know God in the way that I desire to know him. How do you act with, with those inside of your household as well? Because kids are extremely observant. Lyrica is in the place right now in life to where whatever you say, she's going to repeat like 14 times in a row, and then you'll say something else, and she'll do that again. It's hilarious. And you also figure out what you say a lot. <laughs> what are things that they're observing of you? Do they observe you praying? Do they observe you talking and dialoguing with people in a, in a healthy manner inside the household? Do they see you coming to a compromise or coming to you know, a, a, an ability to make a, 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 a sound decision? These are things that we need to be mindful of. We celebrate Mother's Day today, but I think sometimes when we go through holidays, it just becomes another day that we buy a card for somebody and sign our name at the bottom of it. We need not to do that in our lives. We cannot just make holidays another thing that we check off in the year's activities. But if we're going to be intentional, the beautiful thing about holidays, and, and I've said this before, is that in the Old Testament, God established festivals and feasts that the Israelites were supposed to walk into and celebrate together, not because they needed to just have a meal with one another, because that's very important, but so that they could remember the good deeds of God and remember the reason why they're doing things every single day. It's a specific recollection of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. They celebrated the Passover meal because of the blessing of what came in the Passover whenever the angel of death passed over them and allowed them to walk into salvation from the Exodus story. They were able to exit Egypt. A wonderful process and opportunity. They even celebrate in the middle of that meal the bitterness of the wilderness season. So they don't just celebrate the highs, they celebrate the lows. So in these times when you can celebrate a mother, you don't just celebrate the highs of what you experience. You also celebrate the low points and celebrate that we are here today, right now, in this place, with this time, because of the highs and the lows, the mids, all those things. And if you haven't had a great mother in your life, you haven't had a great father in your life, then you can celebrate the fact that you're here today and that you could have connection with somebody else who could still speak into your life. And if you, if you haven't gotten the opportunity to get to know some of the, the, uh, the, the ladies of wisdom in the church, then it's a good time and a good opportunity to do so. We need to be able to collaborate with one another and learn and glean. If you have questions about things, you, you find someone who you respect and you ask them how they navigated through those seasons of their life. You hear their stories and see what it was that drove them to the place that, that they're in today. Why the decisions that they made? Would they do something different? Those are important things for us to ask. That's what being the body of Christ is about. And so let's celebrate mothers. Let's celebrate the things that they have done. Let's celebrate the great opportunities that we've had. And then if anything, celebrate the fact that you're here because someone gave birth to you. Even if you don't feel like you can celebrate much about your birth mother, you can celebrate the fact that you were, you were, you were able to be on this earth because she gave birth to you.
Jesus still gave his life for you just as much as someone who had the most picture perfect from what you would imagine childhood. He gave his life just as much for you as he did for them. He loves you just as much as he does them. The only difference is, are you being intentional with your, with your connection with the Holy Spirit? You could probably see this naturally, and I'll, I'll start to wrap up here. You could probably see this naturally with people who have different family dynamics. You've, you, maybe you've been in this family dynamic or you've observed it, where there's some children who, who seem to be closer with a parent than others are. Part of it could be that there's uh, a, a joining of interests. You have similar interests with one another. You have similar hobbies, something like that. Another one could just be that, that there's been just more intentional conversation, where it seems like there's more favoritism, but really it's just a, a, a further knowing of that person. Doesn't mean that that parent doesn't love that other child the same, the same, but it means that the connection with that person is a little greater. We need to, we need to think about that when it comes to our relationship with the, with the Lord. It's not that God loves somebody else more than he loves you. It's that are we being intentional with our relationship with him in the same way that some of these people are? You envy their ability to hear from the voice of the Lord, but you can barely understand what his voice sounds like if he spoke to you with a foghorn. Are we being intentional in those moments? Are we being intentional? Susanna Wesley thought that it was intentional enough for her to teach and instruct her children and to give them a foundation so that whenever they were given the opportunity to be on their own, that they were able to rightly divide the scripture. They were able to listen, and when they made a mistake, they were able to go back and, and to make amends. She spoke into their lives and told them that they had value and they had worth. I'm not a mom, but I'll tell you that you have value and you have worth. I'd like to do this as we as we close. If you're a mom, if you could stand up, please. If you are a mom in the room. I mean, can we celebrate these mothers this morning? Can we celebrate them? Mom, could you come up here? My mama. I love my mama. I used to I used to to put all my weight down when I was like 18. Now it'd be really horrible because I'm a lot heavier than I was at 18. Don't want to break your legs. But I'd like could you could you pray a blessing over all these mamas this morning? Father, I just thank you for the privilege of being a mother to my children. And how you walked me through areas that I had no clue how to do it. You've been faithful every day. And you're still faithful to me every day. Because every season in their lives, Lord, was a new lesson for me. To know how to navigate, when to speak and when not to, what to say and what not to say. And so because 
I lean on you that strongly, Lord. I just lift up every mom in this place to you, Lord. And I pray that their hearts will be opened to your voice. Because it's a great responsibility to carry the name mother and to do it in the way that you would want us to do it, Lord. So I know that you are faithful to speak to every mom in every situation that they come across with their kids. So I just ask, Lord, that you would bless them, Lord, to have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts open and ready. Lord, that you would give them courage to take that step, to say those things, Lord, that they're not used to saying or that's never been spoken to them either. But God, it's a great opportunity to grow as a Christian, as a daughter, to be able to step out and to speak into our kids' lives those things you would have us speak. And so help us, Father, to be open. Lord, I pray for every mom. And I challenge them, Lord, in your presence to be ready to be instructed in the way that we should go. It's not hard to listen to your voice, Lord. It just takes effort and to be open and then to take the risk and the challenge that you give us. Because at the end, we want to hear you say, well done. So I just pray a blessing over every mom here, Lord, that they would put behind them anything that they haven't been and that they've fallen short of, and that they'll take a step into trusting you that you're going to lead and guide every, every step of the way. And what a blessing, because the closer we get to being a better mom, the closer we're getting to you, Lord. And that's the main goal. So I just give you praise, Lord, as a mom myself, for all that you've done for me and everything that you've taught me. And I just thank you, Lord, for everything that you're going to teach me in the future so that I can continue doing the best I can to be the mother that you want me to be for my children and my grandchildren. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Mama. Will you all stand this morning? If your purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Say it this way. If, if your purpose and activity is just to fulfill the desires of the flesh, then it will ultimately, in the end, fail. But if it is from God then no one will be able to stop you because you will find that they are fighting against not you, but they are fighting against God. Let the words that we speak, let the attitudes of our heart, let our intentions and our affections be pointed ever towards the Lord. And let us... Let us be very aware of the responsibilities that we have. 
as sons, as daughters, as brothers, as sisters, as husbands, as wives, as mothers, as fathers, as aunts, as uncles, as grandparents, and as friends. To speak into the lives of those who have come before us, who are there next to us, and who come after us. Mother's Day is not just a day for women who have kids. It's a day that everyone gets to celebrate the family. And the intention of having someone in your life that legacy can move forward in. So I bless you all in Jesus' name. I pray that we take this scripture seriously. Father, bring conviction to our hearts in the areas that we do not do well. Let us be intentional with our family, Lord. If there are broken and wounded relationships within the family unit, Father, I pray that you draw those relationships back together. Give us grace, give us wisdom, give us courage to, to walk into conversations where we may feel like we are being accused of, of, mal, of, of malpractice. That, Lord, in the areas that we have failed, let us quickly accept responsibility and ask for forgiveness. In the areas where we need to offer forgiveness, let us not harbor bitterness to the point to where we become bitter to the core and then unable to have relationship with others. But draw out bitterness and let us crucify that thing so that we can love others with the way that you have loved us. Regardless of the hurt and pain we've experienced, we count it joy that we have been, been able to suffer to bring you righteousness. That we, may, we may, that we have been able to suffer so that we can bring you glory, excuse me. Thank you that you cause all things to work together for good so you don't punish us in the things that we've suffered with but you bring opportunity for us to give you praise and glory and for your name to be made famous, knowing that redemption doesn't always come in the first quarter of the story, maybe not the first act or the second act, but Lord, by the time that the play is done, by the time that our life is through, people can see your handiwork through and through our lives. So may we give you glory, honor, and praise. Let us celebrate others today for the work that they have done. And even if they haven't done great work, let us be celebrated. Let us celebrate the fact that we are here now today. We love you, Jesus. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said, amen. Why don't you guys hug somebody? Mothers, you do have flowers in the back. Before you leave, make sure you get a flower and, uh, and have a wonderful time. Thank you guys for coming this morning. We look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday. Go have lunch with